You're listening to DevOps and Docker Talk. And I'm your host, Brett Fisher. I do a bunch of things, making courses on the internet, running a live show every week, talking about containers and DevOps and all those cool things. And this is the audio-only version of my weekly YouTube live show. And instead of giving a big introduction and talking about my Patreon and all the ways that you can get involved with this community, I thought I would just jump right into the podcast because this is a pretty good one where we have a casual conversation and it starts off pretty well. So please enjoy this audio only version of my YouTube live show from February with Docker Captain Nermo Mehta of Booz Allen Hamilton. I have Nermo Mehta, Docker Captain. Welcome to the show. Hey, Brett. How are you doing today? Good. Um, We have been friends for quite some time three four years as docker captains uh 2015 yeah it was seattle so yeah like five years now <laughs> that's a long <laughs> that's a long time ago <laughs> so yeah normal and i met at in the docker captain program uh which docker kind of created in 2015 i think it was 2015 era and we, we met at the conference and this is sort of a, a great Example of why you want to go to conferences. You go to conferences to meet cool people like Normal and get to hang out with some of the smartest people in the world instead of going into all the lectures, which are just really videos that you can watch on the internet. Now, those are obviously one of the big draws, but I go for the community. I, I go back for the community and meeting new people. And here we go, five years later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the coolest person I met is definitely Brett Fisher. And I'm not just saying that. I'm, I'm looking forward to when he's on the show. <laughs> <laughs> so um, can I can I just say something, Brett? Yeah, absolutely. I, I rocked through your Kubernetes mastery course in two days. I just Whoa. like sat there and it is by far one of the best Kubernetes classes to take. I learned all these little nuggets of details I did not know about Kubernetes and it's like bite-sized. It's like those, those like not the the really small ones you get for Halloween, but like the the really good full-size candy bars. Not the king size. That's too much. It's like thirty minutes of content. Yeah, the, the course isn't quite king size yet. <laughs> no, it's like ten-minute like full-size candy bar chunks. It's great, and um, I really uh, encourage anyone who's listening to us to to take your class and your course on uh, Udemy. It's wow, awesome. that's that's a fantastic advertisement. I, can I reuse that? I'm going to I'm going to have to put that everywhere. <laughs> on billboards. Nerville said. Go. Yeah, well, thank you. Uh yeah. Uh and in fact, we're launching the next section next week. So Nerville and I actually were talking about before the show that the ingress section is going to come out next week um because we're adding big chunks of it as we go because Honestly, you could talk for you could talk for fifty hours of training about Kubernetes, and you still wouldn't be done. So, you know, there's a lot. Yeah, and and that's the only thing that I was disappointed about was that there were you know it didn't keep going on forever. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, I I'm super looking forward to your next bit of content on on the Udemy class, and I will devour it as fast as I can. <laughs> well, thank you. I uh, will certainly keep you posted. Uh, for those of you on the uh, chat that have taken one of the courses. Thank you so much as well. But this show is now sponsored by my Patreon page. So um, in addition to the courses, we're now, uh, because we want to release more of this free content, like we're going to talk about Ingress today, um, we wanted to figure out a way to make this continue beyond, you know, beyond just a year, right? We'd love for the show to go on as long as possible. And one of the ways we can do that is by getting a little money from it. And we could go out and get ads and sponsors and we've tried that before but i thought hey maybe we could just ask the community to to pick up the tab a little bit so hopefully this works out yeah um i'm looking forward to the content that you're going to be uh publishing um i believe you just published a podcast today <laughs> if i'm not mistaken <laughs> i did i did so thank you for okay. being a patron uh norman <laughs> was one of the first uh i think he was the second one to jump on the on the wagon oh, there man. for patron i wasn't the number i wasn't the first one <laughs> No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, it's all good. We can we can change history. We can say you're the first one if it makes you feel better. Okay. Well, okay. So if you didn't know who Normal was, let me talk a little bit about him real quick. Obviously, we said he's a Docker captain, but he's been working at Booz Allen for a while now. He's a chief technologist there, and he's also been on the cover of magazines as a 
Hollywood looking star. You should check that out on the internet somewhere around his Twitter profile. Very handsome guy. And uh, he loves dogs and has a, his dogs have their own Instagram account, as all dog owners should. Yep. And what are their names again? Uh, Starla and Abby. Starla. S T A R L A and Abby, A B B E Y. So Starla.Abby is their Instagram account. And um, check it out. They're, they're cute little pups. And, uh, and uh, you know, if you like dog pictures on the internet, Give us a like on there. <laughs> yeah. And you have one of the cutest dog beds I've ever seen, which is a Game of Thrones sword. What is it called? The sword uh, throne? It's the Iron Throne. Iron Throne. Um, right. Yeah. So it's uh, it's something that my partner, Kristen, cooked up in an evening. Uh, she she built that uh, for our dogs because they're, they're absolutely the queens of the household. And um, there's now two heated blankets in the bottom of that that dog bed that that keeps it keeps them nice and warm because you know <laughs> little dogs are all about warmth yeah yeah in fact uh here we go you, uh look at the uh oh there we go these are, these are the puppies we're talking about this is going to turn into a puppy <laughs> show someday oh man i i think our you know our view count just probably went up um <laughs> they look like they could be uh you know Long lost siblings. <laughs> yes, yes, they're they're separate rescues. Um, uh, at, we we rescued them at separate times, but they couldn't be closer together. Yeah, Ooh, I got a little glimpse of something we're going to be talking about <laughs> Ooh. In, in just a little bit. As a teaser, so yeah. Uh, yeah so d- tell us a little bit about what you do. Like, um, you know, sure. I, I know you ta- I know you work a lot with customers, but like, what's going on? Yeah, so I'm a government consultant contractor with Booz Allen Hamilton and uh, focus mostly on the public sector. And my primary role is figuring out what's coming up next in the cloud digital space, software development space and emerging technologies and translating that, you know, from a from what's coming out there in the next year or two and translating that to our customers, you know, our customer base and our the solutions that they're looking for or anticipating what solutions they want in the future. Uh, out of that, you know, in this role, in the past two iterations of this role, I was lucky enough to be on the cloud computing wave early on. So I was started using Amazon Web Services before they had the user interface, if you remember those days. Um, Eucalyptus, if that rings a bell, Terra, uh, 3 Terra, AppLogic. And bursting out to from virtual virtualized data centers to to the public cloud at that time, which was mostly just Amazon, um, uh, back in '08 timeframe, '09 timeframe, and then the second wave I hit, which was really awesome, uh, was seeing this uh, presentation by Solomon at uh, OzCon in July 2013, uh, right after Docker was open sourced and my mind was blown in this little uh, session at 8 a.m. on a Friday morning at OzCon. And, uh, and after that, I saw, the minute I saw the demo from Solomon, I, I knew that this containerization, Docker-oriented containerization technology, as opposed to jails and zones and other, yeah. you know, um, like technology back in the day, uh, that this Docker technology was going to really take off and I, it was like a glimpse of the future. Um, and a year later, I won a, I helped win a, a contract with the General Services Administration where we integrated Docker technology, uh, Docker Swarm, and I believe we're the first paying customers of, of uh, Docker's uh, registry, DTR at that time, uh, to, to provide a platform as a service, containers as a service for, for that customer. And um, that that kind of just took off from there. And uh, since then, I've worked on lots of different emerging technologies, including virtual virtual reality, augmented reality, machine learning, and um, supporting customers with enterprise architecture, solutioning, and you know all kinds of stuff. Uh, get, getting in, getting into the nitty gritty with different technologies. Uh, so this last iteration, this past year, was kind of looking at. Uh, writing white papers and analyzing things such as service meshes, uh, graph databases, uh, machine learning operations, things like that. 
So that's me in a nutshell. That's a lot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when we look back over our careers in tech, it's like uh, there's some jobs where we're, we're stuck doing the same thing forever. And there's some jobs where you're just in a race to keep up. And that's, yep. that sounds yep. like what you're in. <laughs> yeah. Some, sometimes I get called in to kind of help, um, you know, assist with configuration and getting things done, you know, you know, quote unquote capital getting things done on the terminal, <laughs> uh, configuring stuff. And then sometimes it's strategy and, and other kinds of work like that. Yeah. Well, that's great. So Sounds... part of that is this ingress controller stuff, right? This yeah. nitty gritty of this. Ugh. <laughs> well, and you know, it, a lot of this stuff, it's like, uh, we just keep pushing the, you know, pushing the problems out. And, and one of the challenges with Kubernetes is it, um, it doesn't know when it needs to stop integrating. And it's not actually anything to do with the Kubernetes project, right? It's to do with the fact that they made a great API that everyone wants to use. So we get into this scenario where you go to the CNCF landscape and you have hundreds of different options for things, you know, that integrate with Kubernetes and you think you need to do them all <laughs> and you don't. <laughs> yeah, I, I think um, just to step back one one step, I, and I, I know that you've supported a lot of different enterprise customers in your career as well, Brett. I think when it comes to storage and networking, that's where common architectures and common abstractions just start to go. They they start to kind of expand, yeah. really uh, become customized at that point. And, um, you know, no matter how much, how many times I've heard customers think that they're different, where they are legitimately different is typically storage and networking and ingress controller ingress um the kubernetes kind of interface there is the location where that starts to differentiate from one solution to another and i think that's where the rough edges are right because it's not it can't fully be abstracted <laughs> if, if you will yeah and a lot of this stuff is not built in and one of the great things about the Kubernetes project is that they don't, they don't have the uh, not invented here syndrome, which is the attitude of, well, we, we need to solve a problem and our software doesn't yet do that. So let's make software in to do that. And instead what they decided was like all modern open source software that's successful. They made a great API and start making standards for specifications that others will use to make their software work. So in the case of ingress, um, which we should probably just define what it is. But in the case of Ingress, it uh, there is no out-of-the-box solution. You have to go choose one. And that immediately makes it challenging for everyone because they don't necessarily know any of those products. And the same thing, the same is true with networking. And this is one of the reasons why I always advocate, if you're going to have to run your own Kubernetes, that you choose a distribution. And that yep. distribution will have opinions and setups for almost all of these things. So you don't have to go survey the market, you just use what the vendor that you've chosen uses. So that's what I tend to recommend. So let's talk a little bit about what Ingress is, right? Uh, there's the, cap when we talk about Ingress and Kubernetes, I like to use a capital I Ingress because that's a <laughs> built-in feature of Kubernetes, right? But really, it's a resource. yeah, and but really, you know, we've all in tech been talking about Ingress and Egress for decades now, and it usually comes down to networking and firewalls. But the reality is, if you go look at the definition of the word ingress, it really just means to enter, to enter a room. Mm -hmm. It was not a tech word. Now, I, I didn't hear of it until I was in tech, but it's not a tech word specifically. And we've all been dealing, whenever you have to bring things in through a firewall or allow things into your network, you'll usually hear networking Cisco people talk about ingress um, or maybe your, your proxy people. But those of us that are like sysadmins or developers, we maybe didn't hear that word a lot until Kubernetes. I just want to make sure that we know it's not a Kubernetes-specific word. They're just deciding that for them, the capital I ingress is a feature that's specific to HTTP protocol. So it's only about web apps and web APIs and stuff like that. So that, that narrows this conversation down a lot, right? So if you're just dealing with databases and other things, then you're not going to be dealing with the built-in ingress feature. Yep. Um, and it's, um, as you know, one can just put a node port or a, a load balancer service type resource on, you know, your deployment or, uh, in your, in your, um, 
yeah, I guess in your deployment or yep. as a service, right? As a service type. And what gets confusing is if you pick something like node port or load balancer or even some of these other ones, like even a, well, not external, but definitely node port or load balancer, it seems like that should be good enough for what, you know, that should be like kind of the end of where Kubernetes is and then the rest is like kind of up to you. And then there's this ingress, which adds that like layer, like application layer abstraction for the same thing that load balancer is doing for any type of protocol, correct? Yeah. <laughs> or no port it's doing for any type of protocol. So there's kind of like this blurry, not blurry line, but it starts to get a little, that's the level of where things get complicated. Yeah. <laughs> because it ties, like ingress in Kubernetes world ties specifically to how you're designing your application as opposed to all these other resources where it doesn't really matter what your applications, what your application really is. You know, it could be a database so long as it's exposing itself over some port and it could be whatever protocol you want to have, it doesn't really matter. But once you get to ingress or an ingress uh, controller and the blurry lines between those two things as well, how you're designing your application, what you're doing in your application matters all of a sudden. And it's not, it becomes, it goes from being very abstracted to becoming not that much abstracted. And I think that's where it gets thorny. <laughs> yeah. And then there's all the features that you expect from a load balancer isn't necessarily in service type load balancer. And those features are actually in whatever ingress controller you pick, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> yeah. So if you have like the simplest setup, right? If you're deploying web apps to Kubernetes, that you didn't have to have a custom proxy in front of it with a bunch of different, you know, URL translation rules or, you know, any of the sort of advanced getting into the API gateway realm of kind of functionality, then you can probably get away without using ingress. Because the reality is if you're running in the cloud, you probably, you're in a cloud that has a load balancer hardware function outside of your server, right? And you're probably going to use that anyway because you're going to need multiple nodes to be fault tolerant and you're going to need something in front of those nodes. So you're probably going to have a load balancer. And so one of the models definitely, like if we look at AWS is when you create a service for your apps, that service gets its own dedicated load balancer, like the node load balancer node type. And that's an AWS load balancer. And you're just creating each one of those for every app that needs to be public. Uh, and that's a working model that works great. You don't have, you can completely avoid ingress and that extra hop of traffic and worrying about which proxy to choose and all that stuff, you can definitely avoid that. And I'm all about simple. So if you can if you can keep from needing this extra layer of functionality and and feature set, then by all by all means, I think as you get more complex and maybe as you're starting to bring in old code, you know, like you're bringing in older systems to integrate with your new systems, or maybe you're dealing more with microservices now where you have all these endpoints. That doesn't really scale because not a lot of people want a hundred AWS load balancers, and <laughs> you know they'd rather have yeah. like five. Um, yeah, and so that's where I think the ingress starts to make sense, right? Where we we are having the first hop be the cloud physical load balancer, and that's on port eighty four four three, so it's a common port URL there, and then that's sending to a port on your servers. Whether it's whether it's port eighty on your servers doesn't really matter at that point because you still have that hardware in the front, and so you can choose a high port like port thirty thousand or something. And the key there is that that one hardware load balancer in the cloud is pointing to that one IP address across all your nodes that you want to have traffic, and that's where the ingress can then start doing your routing. You can start making these ingress resource rules that say, hey, for website A, go to this pod; for website B, go to this pod. Um, one of the things I learned in in developing part of the course is I didn't realize when you choose to use ingress, it technically avoids the service IP. So it doesn't use whatever service, if you created a cluster IP in the service or a node port, it actually avoids that and goes directly to the endpoint pods so that it doesn't have an additional hop. It just goes, so if you like, you if you went and looked at the Nginx configuration, uh, Nginx is one of the choices for for an ingress proxy. And if you went and looked at its configuration after you set it up in Kubernetes, if you had multiple pod replicas, you would see the pods themselves. 
in the list of Nginx. So it, it's technically sending the traffic directly to them, which uh, is nice because it, it doesn't add another layer of hops to the service. It just replaces that service hop. And I, I think that um, maybe we'll get to kind of best practices or some ideas around best practices later. But um, one thing I heard was to make sure that you scope your ingress and your ingress controllers so that it doesn't um, so it's scoped to a specific namespace. Yeah. And because by default, it's all namespaces. And if you if you because of what you were just talking about, that it's using the pod IP addresses, if you have a lot of pods going um, then that Nginx config can become so big that it actually takes too long for it to, you know, every time a new pod or something changes or a new event, it updates that whole, you know, it does a reload on that whole entire Nginx config. Yeah. And if it gets too big, that gets so, that, that gets so long or it takes so long to reload that, yeah. that it can affect, um, the performance of your cluster essentially. Yeah. And so one best practice is for the default, ingress controller is to scope it to the namespaces that matter for whatever you're doing and to kind of make sure that you know your boundaries. And I think one other part of that is, um, as opposed to, you know, you were mentioning before, like the EL, just using ELBs or not having to use ingress at all. The one use of ingress is to capture your applications, um, routing rules, uh, proxy kind of configuration, with the other configuration elements of the deployment of your application. So if you're a microservices team, you know, your your team is responsible for this service and there's another team, another one pizza team that's responsible for another service, their ingress resources are defined and controlled by them versus maybe a networking team that just runs the ELBs for the whole entire cluster yeah. of resources. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, and it and that gets into a a mode where you're really talking about you start to get complicated really fast, right? Yes. Because what we all yes. what we all ideally want, or we think we want, and maybe we shouldn't do it, is we have different teams all using the same clusters, and but we want their permissions controlled so that their RBAC is only giving them the ability to do certain things. And one of the challenges with ingress is if you and I can both ship code and change ingress routes on the same cluster, then I could probably stomp all over your routes. <laughs> so I could make a rule that says, um, if you make a rule that says website a.com slash normal goes to this specific pod. And then later I go, Oh, well I want website a any route to go to my pod. I suddenly there's a big risk there around the route ordering and permissions of who has what routes. And so that, I didn't even get into that in the course yet because I feel like that is some that is not a day one problem or a day two problem, right? Like that's oh, <laughs> that's yeah. like a negotiation between two services team yeah. SRE kind of problem. <laughs> yeah, I mean your first Kubernetes deployment should not probably be trying to tackle that, where you're you know making sure that any rogue person in the teams can be protected from other people's stuff. Really, at the end of that day, you, if if you're starting out and you want to lower that risk. Just make different Kubernetes clusters. Maybe that's a possibility for you. One for each team. And then as you grow, you you get them bigger and um, more of a monolithic cluster that uh, manages more of the teams. And on that note, and this is, I, I read briefly, I have not done this uh, myself, but you can run multiple ingress controllers scoped to different selectors, essentially, mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, class the selector. selector of the yeah the class selector for the ingress resource, so you could have a situation where you have a shared cluster and multiple ingress controllers that are doing that have different feature sets, maybe the default one that comes yeah. with you know vanilla Kubernetes or the one that comes with your distro, and another one or one that's configured the same one but configured differently that has a selector on different ingress resources, maybe department A versus department B or something like that, or product one versus product two. So there's a lot of permutations of this. That's a very advanced kind of topic around this, but um, it's, it's you know, and I know, I know the joke in the container world is it's proxies all the way down, but this is it. This is where all the proxy craziness starts to happen. Right. <laughs>
Right. Well, we don't we don't want to talk about service mesh yet because that's more of an, uh, a a much more advanced topic. But that's where it really gets crazy, where you have proxies for every one of your pods. But um, to th- be fair, that the line between ingress controller, ingress resources, load balancers, API gateways, and service meshes is blurring very very quickly. Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of the confusion is going. Yeah. Uh, uh, coming from. So when we start talking about so like step one right? Yes. Is you've decided that uh, you don't want a bunch of cloud load balancers in front of your cluster, and you would rather have your cluster have a single port for a lot of its public websites or web apps or APIs or anything speaking HTTP, right? So that's kind of like the first reason that people start to look at ingress as the ingress resource. Um, then they go look at the documentation, and then they see that there's only one officially supported one, which is the Nginx controlled Nginx version of an Ingress controller. And when we talk about Ingress, there's two main parts. There's, um, well, it's, the third one would be your app. You have you actually have to have apps to put on Ingress. But the first part is the controller, which doesn't come out of the box. You have to pick one. There's a, at least a dozen. And then you make an Ingress resource, which is the routes. Those are the rules that any one of your Ingresses can use. And that part that Kubernetes project wanted to standardize was the routing. They wanted to be able to make a single YAML resource manifest that you could use regardless of whether you chose Nginx or Traffic or Glue or Ambassador or Conquer or Kong or like a a ton of of other options. They wanted it to where you could make that resource and then if you move from one Kubernetes cluster to another, or maybe you have an internal cluster that uses Nginx, but the internet, you use traffic or whatever. They wanted that resource to stay the same. Um, so that resource is usually very small. It, the spec of it is one of the small, small, smallest. It's one of the smallest specs of all the resources in Kubernetes. It's actually pretty narrow. And so today, uh, one of the things I had to learn um, from others like Jerome and Betty in the community that we're kind of we're kind of calling that version one. The technical API version is V1 beta one of that resource. And that is the first attempt. We can all use that to start out with, but as you get more advanced, you're going to wish that that spec did more things. Like maybe it did some 301 redirects or it did some URL, um, some URI rewrites. translation. Yeah, where it rewrites yeah. The, the URL. So th- those sorts of things don't fit in the spec. The nice thing is, is they kind of knew that going in and they said, okay, well, any of this extra stuff that your proxy may do that we need you to, you know, that you want to add in, you can add into the metadata as an annotation. And annotations in Kubernetes are just blank metadata. It doesn't, doesn't really understand what's going on in there in terms of the stuff, in terms of the API, rather. It just passes that to your controller proxy and you hope that it works. And that's, I think... It's, it's almost like a dependency injection in Java. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like feel, it has that same vibe to it. <laughs> it's one of those things where you can't depend on Kubernetes to keep you safe. So I think that's one of the big rubs with it is that you end up with all these annotations that even if one character is off, there's no error checking until it's in your proxy. And then your proxy starts spitting out log errors. In fact, in making the course uh, videos for this stuff, I kept... I was throwing in some annotation samples and I kept doing them wrong and the the, the proxies would not, basically they looked like they didn't update. And so I'd have to go look at their logs and see that they were complaining about some format. But that's the problem with using annotations is if we were using an actual Kubernetes spec, then the CLI would, would check it, make sure that your keys and values were correct, or at least your keys yeah. would be correct. Um, and so the community as a whole this isn't actually clear from the documentation. The community is starting to, uh, when I say the community, I mean the community of ingress controllers, the traffics, the ingresses, the envoy proxies and all that stuff. They're slowly moving away from the built-in ingress controller to a a, a custom resource in, definition. So a in, CRD. In ingress, oh, okay. So away from ingress controllers not just ingress well so technically the their chain they are running their ingress controller against a custom ingress resource mm. so they're no longer using uh the so when you type in your yaml and you're typing in the kind the kind would be normally ingress now that's going to be something else it might be ingress route or 
um, I think uh, Ambassador calls it something else. So anyway. each each one of those ingress controller projects and slash vendors is defining their own custom Kubernetes resource that encapsulates the current ingress capital I ingress resource plus plus something right. else. That's exactly right. Defined That's what by, we should call it ingress plus plus. <laughs> well, defined by them though. Right. And without, now, is there a, so um, I'm just going to try to get this out of the way so that yeah. we can keep talking about it. There's an inherent tension here, right? Yep. Which is yep. um, the Kubernetes community and the spec wants to standardize what's in that definition so that there's portability and that there's that those, all that stuff that you talked about validation, um, you know, uh, um, standardized YAML, you can, you can send it to, I can send you something and it would run on your cluster kind of thing. Right. But the tension then is that the vendors want to differentiate as much as possible because they're competing against each other and, they want to have their feature set be the differentiation point and that comes down to how they want it how they want you to define how to run their their proxy right their right. um ingress con- control custom resource defined ingress controller substitute that's right <laughs> and so is that inherent tension going to be resolved at some point in the um CNCF and Kubernetes communities, or is that just wild west and that's just going to be it? Yeah, I don't, (laughs) I don't think that there, uh, that will ever perfectly be resolved. I think we're always going to deal with, um, well, if you want these extra features, you either have to use an annotation with the built in ingress or go get a CRD. Um, but what I do think is going to happen, and uh, one of the maintainers, the SIG maintainers for Ingress at KubeCon last year, there's a video on YouTube. I probably should pull it up. Um, the they they sort of talks about where they would like to go, but they need consensus, right? Because that's one of the things is if they just make some new features in the Ingress resource for the Kubernetes project, and then it doesn't get adopted by any of the controllers out there, then what good is it, right? So they need to definitely have that consensus in the community. Um, I think it's moving a little slower than we all wish, but hey, it's open source. Like these are people that you have a limited amount of time, so it is what it is. Um, but what I think is going to happen is eventually that w- what we're talking about now, and um, Betty at Glue actually was the first one to, t- to clue me in on this, is that there's a 2.0... Um, sort of we're, we're discussing what ingress resource 2.0 would look like right if, the, if there was a version of it uh if we never get to version one as uh, jerome was actually jerome Petazzoni was actually talking about this on twitter the other day that we'll, we're never going to have a v1 ingress in kubernetes at least uh from his unofficial standpoint is we're never going to get out of beta because it's not going to have enough features without us just changing a whole bunch of it so why don't we just change those features now and add those Add the extra functionality, like like 301 redirects or URL, URL rewrites, like those sort of basic things that every proxy can do. Maybe those should all be in the spec as well. And of course, when we get into the opinionated stuff about API gateways and maybe, you know, like with traffic, it does let's encrypt automatic cert lookups. So maybe that stuff is extra that doesn't ever go into the official spec. But certainly, I think the, the community is in agreement that more features should go into the official spec so that there's less reason to go to CRD, right? So at least if when you start out, you can give someone some YAML and say, hey, this should work in your cluster. If you want to get more advanced, then maybe do CRDs. But that's how we're doing it with storage and networking and all these others is that there's always the base feature that set that's sort of built into what Kubernetes can handle. And then there's the custom stuff that the vendors are adding on top of it. And it it's nice. It allows that flexibility. But of course, we all want to get to this utopia where we can swap clouds, we can swap Kubernetes distributions, and everything just works. Um, yeah. But it's all really new. So like, we, we forget that this stuff is you know, only a few years old. So I feel like we're in a good place. We just we don't go fast enough. Does newness get trumped by adoption? You know, does, does it like, you know, because it's so widely adopted, uh, there's like so much momentum behind it, right? So yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I, it doesn't I, really matter if it's new because it can break a lot of people's stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, that's nice thing about that. You're talking about the API specifically, like the versions of the. Yeah, I mean, well, not only that, but like just, uh, yeah. It, it feels kind of like Android, right? <laughs> like there's like, <laughs> like we're gonna have all the. Well, yeah, that's true. On every resource, we have versions, right? So at least we know that if you're specifying the V1 beta one of the Ingress resource, that that in theory shouldn't break. And if they come out with a V2, that you would have to specify that version. Um, yeah. And you know, I, I think I think it's great to start out learning that Ingress. So in the course, I teach the built-in Ingress first. You may not stick with that, but I feel like you should definitely know that, that built-in functionality um, for simple DNS routing. Like a lot of us that are, you know, n relatively small, lower complex environments, uh, I will call those people the solo DevOps people. They probably can get away with just certificate management and DNS routing, right? Just the, whatever the DNS name of is of your API or your web server, that gets its own ingress route. And that'll work on every controller out there that supports the, the built-in ingress. Um, so when we talk about that built-in ingress, the being the Nginx, it doesn't mean you need to choose Nginx. And you can easily choose another one and install it. And that's kind of what we go through with the, with the course is I have you running Nginx and then you swap it out for traffic and you don't have to touch your ingress resources or your apps or your services or anything. You're simply swapping out the proxy layer. And that's that's the dream, right? Is that we can just do that. You, you don't like, you, you realize you've hit a limit in Nginx or HA proxy or something and you want to try Envoy with Glue or Ambassador and you can just swap that controller out. Your apps all come right back online and you're good to go. That, I think that's obviously what we'd, love to see but it to me it feels kind of like the storage world where swapping out storage is way harder than we all wish it was and yeah it's the same way i think with proxies and i think you know it's we like to bury our head in the sand when it comes to those kind of difficult <laughs> yeah oh you know, it's just bits on disk somewhere right yeah um, oh we have the we have the csi <laughs> certainly the csi is going to solve all those problems yeah. um but yeah you want to um so i know we're coming at uh, coming in hot on time. In yeah. A bit. Do you want to go over that spreadsheet that you found? Yeah. So let's show off a couple of things and then we'll get to some questions because I know uh, some people have been asking ingress questions and we definitely want to get to those. So a couple of things we want to share. Um, the So when you go to the documentation for Kubernetes, you see a list of ingress options and that is one way to do it inside of the documentation. But one of the other ways is to make sure you're aware of the CNCF landscape website. So it's landscape.cncf.io. And this isn't this is for anything that you would want to integrate into Kubernetes. Now, this this technically this landscape is much broader than that, but a lot of it has to do with something working in Kubernetes. So I tend to recommend it to say, hey, look, if you want to come in here and um Let's just pick a category. Go to the service proxies or uh, API gateway, bottom right. I got a, Since we're talking about that. Whoa. Let's see. Let me. So needless to say, Brett, this is a very large and ever-evolving landscape <laughs> oh, around Kubernetes in general. And... Um, not only that, but every, you know, on the list of inner ingress controllers on, on Kubernetes IO, there's at least 12 of them listed and each one has their own roadmap, their own feature sets, their own differentiation. Um, some are open source, um, some are, uh, you know, have enterprise editions or, um, community versus enterprise editions with additional features. And the lines between some of these ingress controllers and service mesh technology and API gateways that you might already have in your environment, um, if it's an enterprise kind of uh, environment where you have like a maybe even like proxy appliance, um, th those lines are blurred tremendously. <laughs> yeah. And, and the reality is, is a lot of us probably already have something we've picked, right? We have a data center, we have existing apps. If you're watching this or listening to this, then yeah. then you certainly have stuff in production. And the 
the thing that you have probably works with Kubernetes already. So you're, I'm going to guess you're going to stick with that. If you're in the cloud, you're going to be using the cloud load balancers like you've always done. If you're someone in a data center and you've bought an F5, F5 works with this, so you would probably use that. Um, so it, a lot of times this decision actually is already made for you, and especially if you're doing a, a Kubernetes um, distribution that probably comes with its own ingress. A lot of them, I think, will default to the built-in ingress, meaning Nginx. But like you were talking about, um, Engine, one of the things about Nginx is that it was around way before, way before Kubernetes was. So it needs to technically have this uh, extra program. So there's a controller for Nginx that then configures Nginx and does a hub on it to tell it to basically recheck the files. So a lot of the newer ones like Traffic have designed themselves around being a, sort of an API-driven update process. So they're not necessarily using files that you reconfigure. You can, you can optionally configure them directly against their own API and Talking, you're talking about the day two earlier, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up about when you change something and that whole configuration has to reload in your proxy. Um, that's that's something that you have to test because it's one of those problems that's not relevant. It's not yes. evident until you have a hundred or two hundred routes, and you're suddenly having to change one. And if the if the process for your proxy is to reload this one really large file then your proxy may not do well with that. And you may have to test it to make sure that connections continue on. And that's one of the tricks um, with a lot of these. Uh, even Envoy, I think, sometimes has had these hiccups in the past because it's a, even though it's a, a newer proxy, uh, reloading it in real time and keeping those connections running, like any connection mm -hmm. that's still connected to your servers over TCP, you don't want to terminate that connection every time you renew your your settings so that that all is the normal day two operation testing stuff that you need to do and i would say that it, one of the things you definitely want to do before doing production ingress is to just load up a bunch of those routes even if they're just fake routes and start testing consistent connections if you're just using a web browser it's not obvious that your backend severed your connection right because browsers are smart enough that when you refresh or go to a new page it just works but if you have an app, like most of us will have something where a user has to upload a file, which is a stream of packets. I would always be testing, always be testing, always be testing my ingress with something like that running. Or maybe someone's watching a video from your website that's streaming down content from your server. As long as that stream is happening, that's when I would test reloading my routes. Because um, a lot of teams I see get into trouble, especially with internal app stuff, is that they Session don't take stickiness. into account, yeah, they don't take into account those sessions and they think everything's sessionless because when you're testing on your local machine or in a simple CI setup, you don't really experience those stream disconnects. Um, in fact, my talk last year at DockerCon talked a lot about that with Node.js and how you have to really start to get into the devil of the details for that. Yeah, um, and it, that's not even to get into like limited bandwidth or mobile connections and things like that, right? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So do you want to go over this spreadsheet and then we can answer some questions or something like that? Yeah, so uh, let's throw this spreadsheet. I'll put it into the comments, um, into the chat. So I didn't make this spreadsheet. There's actually a link to the original Medium article from Flant. Uh, and I don't really know how updated it is, but it's a nice spreadsheet. We all love spreadsheets on the major Kubernetes ingress providers, the controllers, and the functionality they provide and maybe some of the areas they miss. And yeah, check that out. Again, I'm, I'm not, I didn't verify all of this stuff to know whether it's current, but what yeah. I did notice is that the original article, they, they put a comment at the bottom that, hey, this is how you reach out to us to get updates on this so that we can make sure it stays current. And if you're in the service mesh, uh, someone out there does one for service mesh too, I'm trying to remember who that was. I don't think it was Sysdig. Anyway, um, there's a, if you just look, look for service mesh comparison, there'll be another spreadsheet similar to that. And this maybe would help you if you don't have any preference, but I got a feeling a lot of people, they've already got something they're using today and that, that's probably going to be what they stick with. But uh, that's just a guess. Yeah, and, and I think it also highlights how hard it is to make a decision about this, about which one to go with. Um, 
there's so much differentiation, especially down here in the bottom versus, you know, like paid options, open source, you know, pure open source kind of options, um, all these features that you might already have on an existing API gateway in your like non Kubernetes environment or your just enterprise systems. Uh, you, you, and if it's like part of your security policy to do, you know, DDoS protection or uh, API authentication or things like that, you might want to take a look at this so that you can see what level of feature sets some of these ingress controllers have. And um, it might be that you're already behind another device that's doing some of this already for you. Um, and you only need certain parts of uh, certain feature sets that are much more simpler. And uh, if that's the case, maybe as part of your distribution, you still have the access to the default kind of lowercase nginx ingress option. Um, and so maybe that's just enough for what you need to do. Yeah. Um, it's complicated. <laughs> the, the consulting uh, answer. <laughs> yeah, it depends, right? I always thought that was a good um, name for a podcast or something. It's complicated. Yeah. No, it depends. It depends. <laughs> uh, I I think my my going the, the one I'm going to you know someday when we, we make another podcast because you know why not have five podcasts? Uh, I want it to be uh, Kelsey Hightower's distributed monolith is the name ah, of the. Uh, I like it. Yeah, I, I had a friend, um, me and me and uh, Derek Thurston. If you're out there, shout out. Uh, we had a long uh, a short lived podcast called Sarcasm as a Service, uh, but. <laughs> Well, maybe resurrect that someday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Container Champs was another one. We have all sorts of good ideas for uh, for podcasts. All right, let's get to the let's get to the questions real quick uh, before we run out of time. Th- Jonathan asks: Is there a good development setup with Ingress controllers? I currently use Nginx Ingress with a Minikube tunnel. Then I edit my host file and can use the host locally without having a registered domain. All right, so this actually is a couple of really great questions. The first one is if you're using something like Minikube or Micro K8s, which are two of my three recommended development setups for Kubernetes. I there's no, actually now four because K3SUP is or Ketchup um, for K3S is becoming a, a really good option. But the traditional options were Docker Desktop, Minikube, and Micro K8s. And and of course, I kind of talk about you know Docker Desktop. If you can use it, use it. It's uh, got the most features of all of them. But the one thing that Docker Desktop doesn't do yet is it doesn't provide an automatic ingress out of the box. You can't just do a one-line install without some sort of custom YAML. Um, I do provide that, though, in the course for Nginx and traffic. But if you're on Minikube, the cool thing is, is you can just run that Minikube enable ingress, and it will provide you the Nginx already out of the box. You don't have to go learn a bunch of YAML and apply it. So maybe, Jonathan, you're already using that. But the next question you have is, I currently use an ingress with a Minikube tunnel. Then I edit my host file and I can use the host locally without having a registered domain. So one of the things I would recommend for your domain solution isn't even Docker specific. It's um, using something like nip.io. There's lots of these options out there. They're what we call them as wildcard DNSs. And basically what you can use is you put the IP address of the host, whether it's local host or some other machine on your network or even on the internet, you make that a part of the DNS name. And then at the end of it, they provide you a wildcard name so that you can type anything in there you want. I actually use this in the course so that you can run three different websites locally and use DNS routing inside your ingress. So if, in the, for this example, if I did, you know, if my local machine on one of my networks was 10.0.0.1, I could type in, you know, normal.10.0.0.1.nip.io. So if I type that in my browser, it will that DNS will always resolve to 10.0.0.1. And that essentially allows me to use all these different names. I can just add whatever names I want on the front of that and it'll work. So that's like a general development locally tip. If you're ever gonna have to deal with local proxies or local DNS routing of any sorts, just do that. And that works with Docker, it works with Kubernetes, it works with anything. And it's not, um, there's not a security risk here. I actually see a lot of questions on Stack Overflow around this. And it's not using some sort of backdoor or anything trickery. It's just DNS. It just works. It's There's nothing to worry about there. Can you run that locally, like in your own environment then? 
Um, you mean like provide your own DNS server that does this? That does this like automatic translation? Um, you could. What a lot of people do is there's instructions on the internet for, uh, because there's so many of these, um, I think there's another one, is it XIO? Um, I'm not going to type in random domains, <laughs> but um, <laughs> there's at least three or four of them. Even the VMware, uh, VMware cloud project they have on GitHub, they have their own. Um, okay. And so there's a lot of these that are provided. You can set up your own by just hosting your own DNS, and there are instructions out there on how to do so. I've never seen anyone do it. Although I did have one company, now that I think about it, I did have one company that they were pretty secure on their DNS lockdown. Like they prevented internet traffic from, uh, you know, a bunch of domains. So what they did is they bought a domain. That's, so it's a real domain on the internet. And they, and they set all of their stuff to that domain and they set up their own DNS hosting online that would provide this functionality. I don't actually have a provider that I know that would automatically do this, but I know that when we did it at the time, they set it up. It wasn't that much work for them. So they're just paying for a domain on the internet and they essentially have their own custom developer domain for this type of thing. So yeah, yeah. You, you can I was going to say, um, I know that registering your own domain can be a pain, but if you are transitioning from local development and you actually do want to test that your apps are going to work on the real internet, um, that NIPS thing is pretty good, but just get a domain and just put entries in for your private network or, you know, like mm -hmm. just to test that, you know, a mobile client or some other device is actually going to be able to resolve that properly. <laughs> yeah. So you're, you're saying, saying make manual a, a records. Yeah. But yeah. Instead yeah. of doing this wildcard <laughs> DNS thing, make manual DNS records that go to specific private IPs. Yeah. So they because, won't, they won't work for the rest of the people on the internet, but they'll work on your private network. Right. Because you want to test, eventually you want to test all those steps, right? <laughs> And you need to make sure that it actually works that way. <laughs> yeah. Because that's usually where things st start to get wonky. Yeah. Um, and this is, I mean, when I learned this tip back in the day, I thought, wow, I'm never going to have to edit a host file again. So definitely, uh, if you're editing host files, you know, try this solution out. Unless you maybe have to have a very specific domain name to test. Maybe you're, you're, you're testing locally before production. Um, this is kind of related to other things like inlets from... Alex Ellis. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I'll just mention that real quick. Inlets is one of a few solutions that allow you to put a server on the internet, which technically will avoid your firewall <laughs> and allow you to have a server locally behind a firewall that doesn't have a public open firewall port. And you can have a server on the internet that basically routes or VPNs that traffic to your local machine. And this is what a lot of, uh, what I would say, a lot of freelance developers use so that their clients can see the website that they're running locally on their machine. Um, I think that's a common use case that I've seen for years now. And he's developed this fully open source solution that basically allows you to spin up a server anywhere on the internet, run this open source app, and then on your local machine, you just type commands and it will automatically connect what you have locally, you know, specifically to that server. And it it's pretty neat. Um, he keeps adding features to it, so... If you're if you need that sort of thing because it also works with Kubernetes, definitely go check that out um, at Inlets on GitHub. Yeah. All right. Next question. Just a few more left. All right. Uh, hey Brett, as both Service Mesh and Ingress works on Layer Seven, would like to know when Service Mesh is preferred over Ingress controller like traffic. All right. So the rule of it, service mesh is if you don't know you need service mesh, then you don't need service mesh. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say something similar. Um, I, and, and I think every service mesh vendor would tell you the same exact thing. Um, yeah. I know that uh, uh, one of the solo solo.io guys um, does a presentation around. He has like a table on a chart on a in a presentation where it's like API gateway versus service mesh. And uh. it's like the answer you just gave is exactly right. If if you're just like, oh, what's the service mesh kind of thing, you probably are not <laughs> ready for it. Yeah, um, yeah. Definitely take a look at what features it provides, but there's definitely a trade-off. And yeah. I would say that there's a certain level of complexity that you need to be at. I don't know if that's a fair way to say yeah. it, but yeah. there's, a certain there's a certain level of complexity that service mesh helps. Uh, and below that threshold, it can 
you're just adding another layer of abstraction in terms of your networking. So, you know, there's that trade-off, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and the proxy world is very mature, right? Like we've got decades of proxy experience where, and when we say proxy for ingress, we're really talking about that you maybe at most have one proxy running per host, right? Um, that's the traditional model. Or maybe you have it on just a few nodes that are sitting in the DMZ and the rest of your cluster is behind on a separate network with the traffic connected between the two of them. And so only a, you know maybe three out of your 10 nodes is receiving traffic for the, the ingress controller. But when you start talking about service mesh, service mesh is less about getting that traffic to come into your your uh your uh sorry your cluster and it's more about the visibility and control authorization of everything in your cluster running on http so it's it will basically it'll double the, double the number of containers you have running just about usually um and it it is a, a it solves a different problem but it also happens to solve traffic coming in, right? It's, yeah, it's so, meant to solve a bigger set of problems than just, I need to route traffic coming into my cluster. Yeah, I, I think um, it, it's like equivalent to maybe the analogy of um, standing up Kubernetes to run one container <laughs> is like too much. Right. Um, so like in a, a, a vanilla ingress controller is like using Docker to just run one container. Yeah. And, you know, a service mesh is kind of like using Kubernetes to run a thousand containers, right? Like it's, it's like that kind of difference. <laughs> yeah. If that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah. And, and traffic uh, is trying to change that a little bit with their new uh, mesh. It's, it's a service mesh called mesh and um, it's using traffic and it's using one, uh, this one proxy per node model instead of the traditional service mesh model, which is a sidecar container that goes in every single pod. Um, I haven't really compared the two thoroughly, but I, I'm always opting for uh, easy solutions. So maybe when we start talking about maturity, right? Maybe you start with ingress controller with the default ingress resource. Then when you need to move beyond that, maybe you consider a custom resource definition and or an API gateway you might, uh, because API gateways allow more functionality around managing your HTTP. It can translate stuff in in real time um, inside of the, the protocol stream. And then if that's not enough complexity or, or not enough uh, stuff that you need to maybe control every pod talking to every other pod and have specific authorization for all that, you don't want to have to build it in your app and you need more visibility into each part of the networking of all that. Then that's maybe where you do, go to service mesh and maybe you maybe try mesh first. And if that's not advanced enough, then you maybe go to a more full-fledged one. But um, that's the problem, like we were saying earlier, is that there is no black and white. It's really hard without having a consulting conversation for us to recommend any one tool or to tell you exactly when you need them. Um, the, the whole community out there is still talking about helping people decide, right? That's a, that's a hard problem that we're all trying to figure out how to help you decide which one to use. But I would always opt for the easiest one first. And the easiest one is the ingress resource with the built-in ingress controller. So, yep. All right, I think we have time for one more question. You got time for that? Uh, yeah, it's got to be a quick one, though. A quick one, all right. Um, someone wants uh, email and Discord to ask you some questions. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're all over the internet. Uh, you can ask me on Twitter. You you can jump into my course Slack chat uh, if you're in the courses. Like, there's lots of ways you can get in touch with me. Um, but thanks for asking. And um, if you're interested in some of the um, videos I've done, uh, check out Nermal.io. Uh, you can kind of that's a jumping off point for all my ways you can find me. There and we go. Empathy. Nermal.io. Yeah. Yeah. And he's really got a great talk on strong belief loosely held. So that's that's my mode of operation is I have strong opinions, and but I will change them often. So <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I I just I've always operated that way. I just didn't have until I saw your talk. I didn't have a way to define my mode of uh, of operating really. So that's good. Thanks for Keep that talk. Up. Yeah. yeah, no problem. 
Well, thanks a lot for being on the show, Nermal. It's been, as always, it's always great to hang out with you and chit chat. And I'm sure we could talk about this for another two hours, but we, we've got to cut this off at some point. So <laughs> we'll, we'll come back here in a few months and maybe talk about Ingress again and where we are. <laughs> Yes, and with with the industry and the recommendations, maybe after KubeCon when we when uh, we learn some stuff. Because if you're going to be at KubeCon, are you going? I'm um, not sure yet. Not sure uh, yet. But I know you're you're definitely going to be there, right? Yeah, I'm lucky enough to have been picked out of the oh, lottery yeah, to talk. So I'm yeah, doing a workshop with Jerome. Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. that's all the reason you need to have to go to KubeCon. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode. <laughs>